You're listening to episode 131 of the Pastor Writer Podcast, conversations on reading, writing, and the Christian life. I'm your host, Chase Replogle. I'm joined on the podcast today by Barb Roos. She has had a wide-ranging career, everything from pharmaceutical sales to church work to speaking and writing, and now working as a literary agent. We spend time talking about how God uses those unique paths to bring us to this task of writing, but also about her current job as a literary agent. What does a literary agent do? How do you find a great literary agent? And we have a pretty frank and honest conversation about how difficult the publishing process can be and why having an agent in your corner can be such an important part of that team you're building around your publishing work. A lot of what Barb had to say resonated with my own experience. I think it'll be really helpful for those of you who are trying to find an agent, thinking about the publishing process. I hope you enjoyed as much as I did. As always, thanks for listening. Well, I'm joined on the podcast today by Barb Roos. She's a popular speaker and author, and since 2005, she's been speaking to audiences in the U.S. and abroad, including national platforms such as Aspire Women's Events, She Speaks Conference, and the UMC Leadership Institute. Before that, she worked at a church, which we'll get into in our conversation, and today is also now serving as a literary agent with books and such. Uh, We've had several of their employees and agents on the podcast before. It's where I'm personally represented, so I'm excited to get into that transition into literary agent work. Barb, it's a privilege, honor to have you on the podcast. Thanks for joining me. Well, thank you for the invitation to be here with your crowd. I'm looking forward to today's conversation. Well, I'd love to hear. Uh, I know before your work as a writer and author and now literary work, you uh, you have some church work in your past. Uh, maybe you could tell us a little bit about your path to ministry and the work you were doing uh, within the church. Well, I was one of those folks who grew up in the church. Uh, the joke I always tell is, I'm, I never remember what day of the week I was born, but I can promise you that Sunday I was sitting in somebody's arms at church. So I grew up in the Black Baptist Church with a grandmama who was the pianist and a grandfather who was the deacon, my mom and her sisters in the choir. My mom was my first Bible teacher. And so my context for life was growing up in the church. Uh, I went off to college. I worked in the corporate world for a number of years, and I began attending a church plant, basically. There were about 180 people at that point in a new church and serving as a volunteer, and the senior pastor asked uh, if I would leave my career as a pharmaceutical sales rep to join church staff. And uh Uh, It was going to be a big life change. Well, I had a little bit of a detour. I was a nonprofit executive director, and then I actually began working for my church back in 2002. I was a children's ministry operations director and moved over to operations and before spiritual formation is what we called it back then. But I spent most of my career overseeing spiritual growth and development for our five campuses. And uh, when I left in 2015, 10,000 attendees. Well, at what point in that process did writing become important to you? Because I know, uh, as it is today, in addition to the literary work we'll get into, uh, the agenting work, you've also, you've been writing uh, Bible studies, you've been writing books, that's been a big part of even your speaking platform. When did you realize, I mean, this is a big transition from pharmaceuticals to working within the church, maybe it makes sense, you know, it's your (laughs) church, but then to then say, okay, now it's also writing and speaking. Uh, When did you start recognizing writing was a part of that? 
The I had no idea that it was even possible to have a career as an author. I have been a writer since I was a little kid. I mean, Chase, I don't know about how you grew up, but for me, I thought everybody wrote books as a little kid. I had this dream. I just loved writing things down every day. My bachelor's degree was in English. Writing is just something that was a part of me. But this idea of actually becoming an author, uh, I didn't know anyone who looked like me that was an author, even though I read lots of books. And it was a series of events that how God brings things together. Uh, We had a family crisis. And in that family crisis, uh, it was a a spouse at the time um, who was battling alcoholism and advice from my father-in-law who said, uh, while while my former husband was trying to figure himself out, my father-in-law told me to, to build a life. And I wrote my first book proposal in many ways to keep myself occupied so that I didn't try to get in there and do what only God could do. And that led to an opportunity to present to a publisher and um, then just a series of transitions. So my path to becoming an author was really God opening doors that I couldn't open for myself. And a lot of it was just walking by faith and trusting God during hard seasons because becoming an author happened at the same time that a lot of my life changed. Yeah, it's really interesting. I find that, um, you know, you were saying you always wanted to be a writer. I find with guests, it's usually one, like 50-50. Half say, yes, I grew up thinking, you know, writing on every piece of paper there was and write, making my own books and expecting. Another half sort of felt like that was never on the radar. Um, but this other one is, is I do find there's so many people that write out of an expertise. You know, maybe they've spent a career learning something and they're writing specifically about that thing they've been acquiring knowledge on. But I do find uh, for other people, writing really flows out of out of life itself. Writing is a way of sort of responding to life. It sounds like that's sort of what brought you to those initial writing projects. In some ways, yes. And I remember writing that first book contract. I really wanted my first book to be on leadership. I've spent a lot of my life in leadership. I loved leadership. And I remember that, uh, I remember the moment when I felt God saying, you should write this book on um, inner and outer beauty. And I was like, well, I don't want to write a book on that. And the this this wrestling with God and saying this is an issue that every woman connects with. And there was this surrender process during my writing career, especially the professional part, where I've had to uh, to really just put my agenda aside in many ways and go, okay, what's in front of me right now? What is it that people need? And how is God calling me to stand in that space? So as much as I've had these plans, a lot of it has really been flowing along with um, how am I supposed to serve people right now? Now working as an agent, uh, what you rattled off there about, I put together a book proposal and began sending it out. That's all day, every day work, I know for you. But that first time you were doing that, what was that publishing process like? What what sort of got you to say, all right, I'm going to take an idea and I'm actually going to try to get it published? And what was the experience like in that that first proposal? A series of very interesting moments. Uh, When I was on staff at the church, I co-hosted our annual women's conference with a friend of mine. That year, Lisa Turkhurst was our guest, the best-selling author, president of Proverbs 31. After that conference in 2013, someone sent me an email. I'll never forget. I still remember her name. And she said, do you know that Lisa hosts a speaker and writer conference? And I went online, looked at the website. And again, at the same time, this is when my former spouse was struggling. 
And I decided that I would go to this conference. I had had started writing that book proposal. So I took that proposal to the writer's conference and I signed up late. There was only one publisher appointment available. I only had one shot to pitch this proposal. And I, I, I just, I prayed and I had a, this funny situation that happened the night before where I got chocolate sauce on a shirt I was planning to wear the next morning. And I had to buy a whole new outfit, which was crazy. And so I told that story the next day as part of my pitch. And uh, the publisher said yes. So I ended up with my agent shortly afterwards, again, a whole other series of events. And then Chase, my book got lost at the publishing company. Ah, so it didn't make it out? Not for a year. Mm. It, I, it was about nine months after I signed the contract. I sent an email one day and said, hey, I was wondering about that book manuscript I sent in. And I remember getting an email back and they said, oh, we forgot. Oh my gosh. <laughs> they had had a number of transitions. Uh-huh. And uh, so it was a, a really great experience for me. And just understanding that, uh, again, it's not always on my timeline, not always on my agenda. And uh, to just stay calm, let things work itself out. Yeah, there's so much about, you know, most of the listeners will know my story over the last few months that uh, I announced uh, that I I was under contract with Zondervan for a book, been, you know, working towards that for a long time. And then uh, I started working on the manuscript, was already a ways into it when we signed the contract, but was really getting probably two thirds of the way done when we got a legal email informing us Mm -hmm. that due to COVID and adjusting priorities, they were terminating that contract. Uh, which was a, a bit of a surprise. At least they found your book. We sort of, <laughs> my agent and I got to start over again. And so uh, we're getting close on that. Hopefully I have some news in the weeks to come. But I, I do, it seems like uh, everybody has those stories at some point where, you know, there's this very logical process to publishing. You put together the query letter or try to meet, you know, an, an agent. You work on a proposal. You pitch the proposal. You sign a contract. But I do find there's so often twists and turns within that process that people didn't see coming. For, for what I think by faith, you know, I've come to realize for this project particularly has been for good. Uh, maybe you would say uh, the same. I will, but that doesn't make it easy. I mean, if we're being realistic about it, that whole series of events that you've had to navigate, I mean, let's be honest and use our favorite Christian swear word. It sucks. Yeah. It just sucks. And for everyone out there who, it, it, it that in some ways that kind of, um, those moments, I, I feel like the Apostle Paul at times where God's like, hey, I want you to go do some stuff. And Paul's like, I'm going to do some stuff. And then all of the extra things we didn't see coming happened. And that's life. It doesn't make it easy to navigate. And even though we do know that when we leave space that God, he shows us things and he takes care of us, uh, those tears are still real. The frustration is still real. And we, we've got to navigate that and coach ourselves through it and grow through it. And um, that, you know, that's what separates us from uh, those who give up and walk away. I want to talk about your transition also then into full-time speaking uh, and writing, because that's to sort of track the story. You know, it's a it's a big step from leaving pharmaceuticals to working for a church. It's an even <laughs> bigger step to lose. At least there's some form of, of you know, a, a known ch- paycheck coming in to I'm going to step right. out and, and take this on completely on my own. Speaking, writing, what can be a really difficult career choice. What? Uh, how did that decision come about to say, I think this is the time. I think this is the the right step to to try to go all in on it. 
Well, what was helpful was the fact that I did leave pharmaceutical sales to go to the nonprofit. So in, at, at 29, I did have an experience that I, I, I could survive leaving a successful, high-paying career and following God in obedience, and that I could survive it. And it wasn't an easy transition. So 15 years later, when I felt God putting that on my heart again, it was a tough transition. I had a corner office at a mega church. I was a teaching pastor. I had a great team, a church that had an incredible mission. And yet I felt God putting on my heart that this was the space. Uh, Our senior pastor was retiring due to early onset Parkinson's. He was 51 years old. And uh, I wasn't planning on leaving in the transition. I was planning on sticking around because we had a lot of staff transition. And yet God's voice was very clear. So that transition was very much about me being open handed and not knowing what the future would look like. And it's fun now. I I do change and transition workshops and seminars for both both leadership teams in the secular and religious world. And much of it is about, will we surrender and let go? Uh, Will I let go of the security of a two-week paycheck, every two-week paycheck? Will I let go of the security of knowing when my next speaking event's going to be? So I figured if I'm going to be a Christian and speaker and author in writing and teaching about living by faith, Uh, This is uh, the space where I get to have an endless supply of illustrations to talk about. (laughs) How how did you grow that? Because I know there's a lot of people out there that maybe they've dabbled a little bit. They've spoken at a few conferences, maybe spoken church opportunities. They're interested in doing more of that Um, outside. You know, you see famous speakers and that gap between getting from where you are to that point seems seems really uncertain or unclear, right? There's not a degree you go get and all of a sudden you've got speaking opportunities. So what did it look like for you to to grow that, to to recognize that was the next step and see that begin to actually work uh, as a career? So I am going to tell a quick story. And for everyone who's listening, this is not any kind of Jesus juke where I'm trying to be overtly spiritual. I'm, what I'm telling you is what happened. So uh, are you an Enneagram person, Chase? I am. I, this is always a joke. So I always my wife says I'm an eight and I usually <laughs> respond, I'll be whatever number I want to be. And she says that sounds like something an eight would say. So that's yes, I'm familiar. <laughs> And that is something an eight would say. So I, for for the most part, I believe I was probably an eight all the way through working at the church. I'm a pretty solid three. I hate failure. So my first year out in 2016, uh, when it was time to get speaking events, I, I did all of the things, all of the postcards, all of the emails, all of the networking. I wore myself out. It was January 3rd, 2017, and I sat in my prayer closet And that day, it was a Friday morning, and that day I made a decision, and I just said, God, I am going to pray that you put my name on the hearts of event planners. God, you know I'm going to be a good steward of the opportunities that you put in front of me, but I'm going to trust that whatever you bring me will be enough. And two hours later, that day, January 3rd on a Friday, I had booked two full fee speaking events that morning. Now, am I saying name it and claim it? Absolutely not. But I believe that that was one of the ways that God reminded me that he would be faithful. Now, my God's promise is that he'll be faithful. So I would I prayed that prayer. That's still my primary marketing plan. I speak 32 to 38 times a year at local and national events. My part 
in this is that when I look at the data, I know that 69% of my speaking events come from referral. So my part in this is to show up and to have an outstanding message to make sure that I work with event planners. I return phone calls and emails that I have a, a servant's heart when it comes to every organization or church that I am partnered with. So God's promise, I, pr- I trust that he's going to send me the speaking events. Even during COVID, when everything has changed, my speaking events are still coming in. They just look differently, but I have to be open-handed. But I also know that my part is to show up and be prepared and to partner well with those who bring me in. I, we've already talked a little bit about the stamina that's required for for speaking, for writing. I think that's almost every author I've ever talked to talks about how, in the end, it really is a game of perseverance and just sticking it out. And I do think moments like you're describing there, while they're not, well, you're not always, you're putting in the work, clearly. I mean, cl- you're describing it. But when you do have those moments where it's so obvious that God, by his sovereignty, his hand has, has made that next step or made something work, um, those become so important to hold on to and remind yourself when it is so long and so hard that this is the road he has you on the road he's put you on. And you can look back and see those moments when, uh, those things, it, there's a sense of, of his purpose, his timing within even those difficult situations. Absolutely. Because the last, the five years, this is my fifth year of being a full-time speaker and author. And when I began the journey, uh, that first year, that first day, um, we had had a, an intervention in our family a few weeks before, and my spouse at the time had left our family. And so when I began my career as a speaker and author, it was in the space of not knowing. Uh, I, I had a spouse that was no longer with it. I was trying to manage what was happening with our kids. I had just quit my job. And uh, I was I was thinking, I was like, God, this is the path that you have for me. But Any last shred of security I had was ripped apart as soon as I took that giant step of faith. And many will resonate with that. And over the last five years, I've had uh, I've had seven books come out in five years. The last year, I had three books come out in the last year, which also coincided with the end of my 26 year marriage. During these last five years of me, of God opening up doors and speaking events and traveling and, again, writing seven books in the last five years, um, my life has changed dramatically. I've lost things that have been near and dear to my heart. I've had to trust that God has his hand on my writing career. And even now, as I look at projects that have come out, my last Bible study and book were both titled Surrendered. It's deeply humbling for me to read emails from women now around the country who are going through hard times and they are reading God's word. It's not just, it's not about my story. It's about reading and digging into the scripture and they are seeing God's faithfulness. But I had to live the life that I had to live for that vehicle to kind of make its way to their hands. That's humbling. And it's undeniably God. The last piece of the puzzle I want to sort of click in place is the literary agent work that you're now taking on. Um, And I know that's in addition to the writing and speaking that you're doing. Uh, How did that come about? And what got you what got you feeling excited about working with other authors and that publishing process? 
Well, first of all, I didn't see it coming. <laughs> I had no idea. Uh, I received a phone call from Janet Grant, who is the owner of Books and Such Literary Management. She called me in May. And again, I've been a part of the agency since 2014. I was not completely sure that Janet even knew who I was. Uh, and she said, we've been talking about it for about a year, and we would love for you to join the agency team. And uh, I almost fell off my chair. I literally almost fell off my chair. And the first knee-jerk reaction was no. But then Janet began talking about, she began casting this vision for who a literary agent is and what a literary agent does. And what got me was she said, we're here to serve people and help them reach their goals. I'm an Enneagram 3. I also have a wing too. What do I love to help? What do I love? Goals. What do I love even more? Helping people. <laughs> so there was this space where I began to see that was a natural part. And uh, the things that had happened in my life, those things were fading into the past. And so I knew I had, and I had this, um, I knew I was looking for something. At the same time this summer, we've had a, a whole new civil rights movement in the country. Uh, as an African-American writer, there are very few people who look like me in Christian publishing. And I, it, I really wanted to create spaces for more voices. And there's connections that I've made over the years. And Christian publishing doesn't have just a desire, but now an intentionality for bringing in more voices. And I, I thought, you know, I've been, a, I've had to be the only, uh, the only chocolate chip in a, in a chocolate chip cookie for many years. And this is a space where I believe that, I, again, I can open my hands and God can use me to make a difference. That's uh, Janet is my agent. And I think the way she you've described the literary agent work from her perspective is exactly what I found through the agency, too. Uh, you really do feel like it's a, a partnership, somebody that's sort of in your corner. But maybe you could take a minute, describe for you what a literary agent does. And for listeners, some of which you, you know, many probably have not worked with a literary agent before. Maybe that's on a, a, a future goal list for them, something they're working towards. Uh, what What is the significance of having an agent like that in your corner when you're thinking about your own publishing goals? As Since we are both part of Books and Such, uh, we are blessed that we get to work with an agency of not just accomplished literary agents, but outstanding people. Uh, Rochelle Gardner is my literary agent, and so she's provided an educational footprint for me to walk in. So part of the journey for those who are thinking about uh, this idea of being represented uh, there are three things that we all want and need in a literary agent. First uh, is a literary agent who's got great connections in the publishing industry. That's one of the reasons why I said yes to becoming an agent with Books and Such. Uh, the agency itself, uh, the publishers that Books and Such work with, when those emails come in from our agents to the editors at the publishing company, uh, because of the care that's taken in the proposal process, we know that the editors are going to open up the email. There are there is a um, there's a, a shotgun approach that often agents will take. And someone says, "Would you send out my proposal?" Many agents will just shotgun it out to anyone and everyone. Well, that's not strategic. And if there are not high quality proposals from an agent, an editor will be slower to open those proposals. So books and such, the editors know that it'll be a marketable, sellable proposal. So that's the first thing, having an agent that you know the editor will open up their email. 
The second is an agent that will help you cast a great vision for your writing career. We as writers, uh, we can be a little neurotic. I mean, I don't know about you, Chase. Are you ever a little neurotic when you write? <laughs> Jana would probably say I send lots of questions to her too, right? <laughs> right. So it's like an idea comes across and I've got an email into her. So she's always very calmly and politely responding and keeping me on track. Right. Because we have lots of thoughts and we can be a little like herding cats. So a great literary agent helps make sure that a writer keeps the bigger picture in mind. But then the third thing is that a literary agent knows how to stand in the corner with you. And that I appreciate with Rochelle. Uh, when my life was wiggling way off track and my writing career seemed far away, uh, Rochelle matched my speed. She, she made sure I didn't lose sight of the bigger picture of my writing career. Uh, she would say things like, Barb, right now, you've got a lot of other things on your plate. Give yourself some space. Uh, don't worry about pressuring. But she also could stand there with me and encourage me. So those three things you want in an agent, you want an agent who has a great reputation. Second, you want an agent who knows how to help you see the bigger picture of your writing career. And third, an agent who can stand with you and in the corner and cheer for you and encourage you. There have been so many times my agents done that for me, especially in uh, one of the things that has really surprised me about the process is nobody nobody reads your writing. You know, you could work on a manuscript, you could complete the whole manuscript, the significance of the the book proposal, and then often just a few sample chapters is really, you know, if you're lucky, an editor in their evaluation is reading that entire book proposal and sample chapters, but but nobody in the process really has read this book that you've written or thought so much about. And so it can become as you're getting rejections or as you're getting input that maybe is not what you're looking for, it can feel unnerving, right? You can sort of feel like nobody knows what I'm trying to do. Nobody understands it. Nobody, you know, and to have an agent who, who can be affirming, who has seen the work you've put into it, who understands who you are, what you're trying to do, um, that sort of confidence or that stability that it provides, has just been really, really important into what's a, a hard process. You are so well said. That is a, a place for me that I, again, being an Enneagram three, I'm very goal oriented, but with my clients, I appreciate having the example of the of the agents and the agency all of these years to remind me that uh, the process itself is just as important as seeing our ISBN number at the end of the game, that it is walking with someone through the journey and having those conversations on the on the good and the bad days and supporting someone uh, that that's what helps to create a stable writing career. Because it's the ups and downs that build our muscle and our grit, even though we don't like the ups and downs. So as an agent, I am embracing that part of the process of, of not, not making the book the only goal for the client, um, but to make the goal the development of the career and the person. Yeah, I think that's represented in uh, books and such work uh, really, really well. Um, some listeners are saying that would be great. I would love to have this kind of a relationship in my life. I'd re love to have an agent like that in my corner. Uh, but maybe they've not found uh, an agent yet. What what advice do you give on somebody who may be just beginning the process of looking for representation? Um, how should they be approaching agents? How should they be thinking about you know forming those relationships with an agent, getting representation? Advice for someone who's just starting that process of looking. The my own personal best piece of advice is face-to-face -face connection is 
uh, is the is a great strategy. Even in these pandemic COVID times, we still are hosting writing conferences. There are still lots of different opportunities to sign up for agency appointment. Connection is looking someone in the eye. So if someone out there who's listening is thinking about just um, starting to talk to an agent, sign up for a writer's conference, sign up for a time to meet an agent and ask questions, uh, test out pitching a proposal in a time when it, it's not all the marbles so that you can get comfortable with meeting agents and talking with agents. Uh, I interviewed a prospective client about a week ago and she wasn't ready for an agent. She just wanted to have a basic interview and bless her heart. Uh, we did deep breathing techniques our first few minutes together. I was a life coach uh, uh, for a while. And um, so I walked her through some deep breathing techniques because she did feel a little overwhelmed by the process. And we do not want people overwhelmed. So give yourself a chance to meet people by signing up for a writer's conference. Learn all you can learn, including the agent interview process in the proposal pitch process. There are some that uh, I think even what you're describing there, there can be a kind of intimidation or even a frustration in the process, particularly around rejections. Um, we've sort of already alluded to the fact it is a difficult process. It can be a, a long, one of my lessons is it is so much slower. It's so much longer than I ever imagined in my mind, you know, some of these goals would take. Um, and I run across people all the time, you know, will tell me their own sort of horror stories about publishing or their own discouragements. And there can be creeping into those conversations. I sense a lot of cynicism more bitterness about publishers, about publishing, about the market. You know, I've had some of my own ups and downs, some of my own frustrations with it, but overall, I'm, I'm still optimistic about it. Maybe you could give some some encouragement to writers who may have just felt like because of an experience, because of maybe hitting some hurt, stumbling blocks, some hurdles, um, man, they're just close to giving up or they've just, they feel that same sort of bitterness working in on them. Advice on how do you, how do you keep your faith up? How do you stay encouraged? And what is a, a grueling process? My own personal experience with this happened after the first book and Bible study that I published uh, in 2015 and 16. They did okay, but not great. And I wondered if I ever would have a chance to publish again. And so for anyone out there who has felt rejected or you jumped in and it, you just didn't have the results, it is okay. You have permission to feel that sense of rejection when you get the letter from the editor or, or an agent interview doesn't turn out. It's okay to be real with how you feel. Uh, I have a dear friend. Her name's Jill Kemmerer. She's with the agency and uh, she's a Publishers Weekly bestselling author now. But she went through almost 10 years of being rejected by publishers. And she has uh, 11 manuscripts that she wrote before her first manuscript was ever published. She was a fiction author. And one of the things that I loved about Jill was she said she just gave herself permission to keep believing in herself. She kept going to writers conferences. She kept engaged with crit critique groups. She continued to believe in herself and she surrounded herself with people that kept encouraging her. Uh, in my own story, I had to learn how to do that myself. I had to keep going to writers conferences and writers events, even as I wasn't sure if I was ever going to to get published again. And I kept praying and just saying, God, I don't know how or when I'm going to leave my hands open. 
one of the, I think one of the things that I try to remember is that the words on a page in a book, that's not the most important part of my life. Whatever message that I could write down in a book, I would like to believe that that is a message of hope and encouragement that I'm more than willing to sit down one-on-one and give a friend over a cup of coffee, that I'm not waiting for a book to make a difference. I'm not waiting for a platform message to make a difference, that I'm going to live whatever that message is each and every day with the people that God puts in front of me. And then if there's an opportunity to write a book about it, fantastic, great, I'll be a good steward. But what I have to say matters today and matters now. And I hope that others can embrace that and feel the same. I think that is really, really helpful advice. Um, I often remind myself, number one, this this thing that I'm writing, it has to be true of me first. You know, it has to be worth me living, not just saying. And there has to be it has to be true enough, big enough, important enough that for its own sake alone, I would do this work, right? <laughs> to learn this and to master this for myself would be enough, whether it ends up becoming a book or not. That The process, you really have to learn to love the process because I think you would probably say, as I think most authors do, uh, there's not always enough in the final book for it to have been worth the process, right? You don't, it's not, it doesn't make you a millionaire. It doesn't make you a celebrity. It doesn't solve all of your insecurities. It doesn't, it's not going to fulfill all of those things. You've got to just enjoy the work itself, the process. Yes, yes, and amen. That's when we stand up and do all the hand claps, because especially when it comes to writing, uh, keeping uh, people ask all the time, they're like, what's the secret to being an author? It's not sophisticated. It's keeping your butt in the chair until you get to the final period. That is easier said than done. We have to have a great vision for why we're doing what we're doing, because it is really hard keeping our butt in the chair until the work is done. I've got edits now waiting on my uh, project that comes out in 2021. I hate edits, but I have to give myself the Simon Sinek why. The why is for what for what I do to, to help women live beautifully strong and courageous. That why is the only reason that I'm going to stick to getting those edits done. So like you said, there has to be a bigger vision than than the words on the page that we write, because it's not clearly going to be enough on its own. I want to make sure and give you a chance, uh, if there are listeners, uh, the kinds of books that you are currently looking for, um, how would be best to be able to reach out to you if somebody might be interested? Uh, and the best way, you know, just even beyond your later agency work, the best way to follow you, the, the ways that you're speaking and writing and people can keep up with the work you're doing. Well, thank you for, again, for today's conversation and asking that question. Uh, So for those who are listening and have been thinking and going, you know, she sounds interesting and I'm looking for an agent. Uh, My literary magnets are nonfiction. That's my biggest literary magnet. That's the world that I'm from. I love stories that have to deal with living courageously, living by faith courageously, Uh, I tend to uh, be more passionate about the prescriptive end of things. And so if you have a great concept and you've developed some great tools uh, as as handlebars to make that concept go, let's talk. Uh, I also love uh, fantastic fiction stories. I don't represent as many fiction writers, uh, but I do love unique fiction stories. Again, uh, strong female heroines uh, who know how to make things happen. Uh, And 
I am not just limited to women. I, I, I can represent men and women right now. It's mainly women just because that's how that works out. But, uh, I love stories that uh, cast a vision for God's faithfulness and for our ability to learn and grow and overcome as human beings. Yeah, really helpful. And all that information I know as well as your books, your writing, uh, contact, they can contact you through your website, barbruce.com. Is that the best place? That's right. Barbruce like goose, barbruce.com. Well, Barb, it's a uh, it's a privilege. It's been an honor. Um, I love your story. Um, you know, I mentioned to listeners before too that I'm a bivocational pastor. I do freelance web design development. This whole writing podcast thing is the third piece, and so I hear in your story of just sort of <laughs> taking the next thing that comes from pharmaceuticals to church to writing and speaking to literary agency. Uh, it's a kindred spirit there, so I know how that <laughs> life goes. Uh, but it's uh, I find it encouraging. God uses all sorts of us in all sorts of interesting ways, and so there's plenty of people out there who may think I'm not a full time writer. Or I'm not a pastor. I'm not a, but uh, man, you just never know the paths God puts you on the way he uses that influence, that life that you're living uh, in just really powerful ways. And you're a great example of it. So thanks for the writing you've been doing, the speaking you've been doing and for uh, helping authors out now as an agent. Thank you. I, I do appreciate um, on your website at the very end uh, that there's just this precious reminder that you have that writing is an act of faith, not a trick of grammar. Uh, that the words we write matter, that the words that we write, we should write them down and share them and just uh, be open-handed and let God take care of the rest. Yeah, E.B. White gets the credit for that one, but it is one of my favorites. So, Well, Barb, uh, continue uh, doing the work representing authors, writing great books, and uh, we're privileged to have you on and hear a little bit about how God's been using you over the last few years. Pray many more good things to come. Thank you very much, Chase. As always, you can find show notes for today's episode by going to pastorwriter.com slash 131. There you'll find a link to Barb's site where you can contact her if you're interested in reaching out to her about representing your work and your writing career. If nothing else, I'm sure she'd be happy to answer your questions and hear about what you're working on. So I encourage you to follow her, keep up with her work, and maybe reach out with your questions. Just wanted to say thanks to those who have taken the time to subscribe over the last few months and also those willing to leave a review. You can do that by clicking one of the star ratings wherever you listen to podcasts or by taking a moment to type out a short message. That feedback is always extremely helpful in putting together the podcast. As always, thanks for listening. Until next time. Thank you.